Welcome to Runtime Rugby episode 18. We're, um, we're barely legal. And um, so, yeah, today we've got Nigel and Vincent. And uh, yeah, H- how's it going? Good. Good, good. Yeah. Going well. <laughs> yeah, I'm still in Korea, enjoying life here. Uh, oh, so cool. Life is good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, how long are you going to be there for? Much, a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, I don't know yet, but uh, yeah. Uh, I don't so want to leave. Just... You know, life is so much better. <laughs> I don't uh, Yeah, the food is nice. Uh, uh, healthcare is uh, much more affordable, things like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The quality America's of life a, is good. America is yeah. a bit of a second world country, isn't it? But <laughs> I don't won't get into politics. Um, so, yeah, you've been working on a game engine. I'd, so you, we've got a little Discord group. And um, so you, yeah, you announced that you have just uh, sort of have an early version of that, and um, yeah, it's, it's it's sort of a it's a number of iterations, isn't it? Like you've done game engines before, and many many iterations. Uh, like before, when I was working in Flash, I already put out the game engine, and eventually, hmm. like it was uh, Flash was out of style, so I, it became obsolete. And then yeah. when I moved to JavaScript, I started working on different game engines. Uh, First, using uh, 3GS, uh, hmm. so that was like a kind of like 3D base. It's like uh, a WebGL kind of, wrapper, isn't it? Yeah, it's a WebGL framework, and I think it's uh, used by a lot of people. It's pretty um, pretty good for for not only making games, but a lot of people use it for making uh, 3D projects, uh, demos, and things like that. But even I abandoned that game, that engine, because uh, I decided, okay, I just want to like touch WebGL directly. I want to be able to manipulate like the, the basics and be able to get the optimal performance as far as I can understand it, you know, because I'm sure like like my idea of like optimizing code might not be optimal, but mm. uh, at least if I know it, I can do something about it. I have more control over it. Uh, but then even after I moved to WebGL and I made game engines, uh, I scrapped several of them and then See, here's the thing, you know, that, that I found. When I work on uh, uh, my game engine, and the idea is that, oh, at first I'm going to make the game engine, and then I'm going to make, like, some kind of game out of it, and then I'm going to put out to the public for others to use. Uh, but the, I see the same cycle happening over and over. I develop the game engine, and I reach to the point where, okay, I get the game out, I, get the, I got the game engine, but the game engine is so difficult to use. Because uh, mm. I just get used to uh, coding that way, then uh, I leave it for a month and come back and like, what did I is write? Is it like, like web I, frameworks? <laughs> is that web framework? You, you know, like what? some web frameworks, they like they have some opinions and then like some stuff's like really easy. And then you want to do like, oh, I just want to do this like HTTP thing. I just want to stream this response <laughs> or something. And then it's like impossible yeah. and you're rewriting the framework. Uh, it's more like my own code, you know, I, I try to stay away from frameworks, so I only use WebGL mm-hmm. now, but mm-hmm. even like the thing that I write myself, like I have an idea about, okay, this is going to be very easy to, to use this API if I design it this way. So but, uh, what's, your, yeah. what's your goal in a framework, right? Because um, frequently, so mm-hmm. years ago you would talk about like things like web frameworks and people would say like the best frameworks were ones where People have just written lots of applications, and yeah. in writing the applications, you work out which things you keep cutting and pasting from application to application, <laughs> and you go, those yeah. are the bits that really should be bundled together in a thing as a useful set of tools to, as a framework, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is that the sort of approach you're taking, or are you going, like, if only I had this framework, like, all these apps would be easier to write? And if so, what decisions do you make to say what things should and shouldn't be in the framework to work out... Um, like, what's your use case you're trying to make easy, I guess? Right, so I think uh, I've taken a different approach over the years, but uh, the final one that I have, the one that I have right now, uh, I have this particular idea where, uh, yeah, I mean, first of all, yeah, the idea is to make uh, games easier to write, like apps or games. I only care about games, really. Like apps, like, well, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The idea is that I'm going to make this framework, and then yeah. people can build templates. And then okay. a template can be, for example, um, the RPG template, like JRPG templates. 
because uh, JRPG, okay. they, they all look the same, you know, like you have a, a character mm. moving around, they talk to people, like NPCs, they can acquire items and then talk to and Yeah. And then there's mm. also like, um, you know, I, I based the idea of my framework on one game in particular, which is called Fantasy Star, that has dungeon crawling. So mm. I think my first template will be uh, open world plus dungeon crawling. And that would be like, that, that would be my Fantasy Star template. So using this template, you can recreate the game Fantasy Star, and that's pretty much it, you know? Then you just swap the, swap the story, swap the characters, and you got a new game. And then the idea is that once you have this template, then you create more template. Let's say you have um, a shoot them up template. So you have a, a template where you, you have a spaceship shooting enemies, and now you can combine both in the same game. So you could have your basic game like RPG, and then suddenly you go into space, and it becomes a shoot them up. And uh, <laughs> I, I think that would be very awesome. <laughs> but uh, it's it's um, going getting there is a slow process, really. Um, but uh, I've done so it many times. Uh, yeah. yeah. So you're sort of working out like the paradigm or the sort of game style, or like the world mm -hmm. of the game, and then you sort of work out. Okay, I'm going to be like. These, I'm going to have like maybe random characters that sort of, as they walk around the map, they sort of like get generated in random spots. And so you have to like, that's a particular element of one style. Is that sort of right? Whereas if um, I have a side scroller, like there's going to be like, as I get to this point, there's going to be like three enemies at that position every time I go there. Is uh, it that you sort asking of like, is you Are you asking like how to how to use the template like how are people yeah, the gonna, yeah what the template is yeah i guess yeah oh, i haven't got to that point yet you yeah, know okay. i'm like so early at an early stage hmm. um oh, but one fact one particular thing that i was thinking about uh, the way people are going to be uh, coding the game is that they're not going to be writing a whole lot of code uh, like once they have a template they can hmm. provide a, a config file which is like tons of json files just meshed together and then that's going to be your whole game. Just mm -hmm. the JSON file plus the assets, and that's it. You can just contain the whole game in there. And you plug it into the engine, and then it's gonna, that's going to be the, yeah. the entire game. There are going to be some particular moments where you need a little bit of code because you, you have some idea about mechanics that uh, nobody has ever written before. So you're going to have to write a bit of code, and there's going to be a component that is going to interact with your JSON. Oh, cool. But the main idea is that once we have like a bunch of components written uh, in code, people are, are just gonna stop writing those little components and they're just gonna make sure. JSONs to make just a bunch of varieties of games. And uh, yeah, that, yeah. yeah. My, my, my favorite um, game yeah. writing experience I had was mm -hmm. as a kid uh, on the Amiga, there was a bit of software called Amos. Um, mm -hmm. And what it, what it did was you could say, you could literally drag and drop um, icons onto the screen, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then you'd press, you, you would just like start playing your game and it, oh, it cool. wouldn't do anything. And then you'd press like left on the left key and it would go, oh, mm -hmm. you pressed the left key. What do you want to happen when you oh. press the left key, right? And you'd go, oh, I want to change the coordinate of that character on the screen, right? Make him go left, you know, plus one to the X coordinate. And it would go, oh, okay. And then you'd press right and it'd go, what do you want to do now? And you'd go, oh, make it go right, right? And that you, then you had left and right working. And then, like, you'd go press fire and it would go, what do you want to do? And you go, oh, make a bullet appear and then send it, set its velocity to this, right? Yeah. And then, and then the bullet would hit something and it would go, oh, these things collided. What do you want to happen, right? And you go, oh, replace them with an explosion and increase my score by five, right? And you've suddenly got, like, a... a, a, a Space Invaders, right? <laughs> you know, and and it no like code, 50, right? No, yeah, pretty much. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you had to know like objects and their velocities and, and things, uh, but almost no code, yeah. And um, I loved the experience of, you know, like it just detected events occurring and said, is this something I should ignore or do something about? And mm -hmm. you just put in the bit of logic you cared about. It makes me think of the, um, those mm -hmm. drag and drop programming languages where you can um, uh, like scratch, where... Uh, again, right. right? You, 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 the world is thought of instead of having like a, a main and then like a loop and whatever. You just literally have events that occur, and you go when this event occurs, run this bit of code. Hmm. Um, that just seems like a nice, nice model. But um, yeah, that that was lots of fun. Um, I used to yeah. I used to write games many years ago on on PlayStation Two and oh, uh, wow. Game oh, Boy cool. Advanced and stuff. 
oh, um, as well. So yeah, it always stuck with me. Um, yeah, I think you touched on a very interesting point there, like uh, when you make the game and then the, as you play the game, you can actually like add to it, right? Because like the event hap is happening and you detect the event and the game is still running, but you can still iterate on it while it's happening. And mm. there's, there's not many uh, apps or games like that that exist, right? Where the thing is running and then in the middle, as the thing is running, you just want to evolve it somehow. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Like Visual Studio used to have um, this concept of stop and continue so that you could yeah. you'd be writing code, you'd be running the code, you could put a breakpoint in. When it hit the breakpoint, you could then modify the code and then like continue and it would run That's your new code. Right, yeah. and that that was that was a really fundamentally useful tool, and then um, C sharp uh, took it away. I think it was in C sharp as well. It was definitely in C plus plus, but they, they, I think they took it away again after a certain level, oh. like certain version, and they went, "Oh yeah, we can't support that feature anymore with some new feature we've added to the language," I, and so the feature disappeared, and and it that's, was, that's kind yeah, of sad. it was shocking. <laughs> it was so sad. It was such a step backwards, right? Yeah. I tried that in Xcode with, I think, Objective-C, and I, I think I remember it not working, or not working quite right, so I just had to do, like, a full build and kill it, and then build and run. Like, it was, yeah. it was a cool, it was like a, one of those things that they had on the slide, you go, wow, that sounds awesome, and I just, like, didn't quite live up to it. Yeah, right. Um, like, maybe yeah, it's, it's, it's just, like, very technically difficult, and eventually, like, you, you have to stop supporting yeah. it if you want to add something new because if you add something, then oh, it makes, good. makes it so difficult Erla as possible. Yeah. Erlang has this as well. Like, I'm writing a lot of Elixir nowadays, and um, Erlang has that sort of, like, Elixir's built on Erlang, the Erlang virtual machine, and sort of, it's got the sort of concept that all code is just really data. So you can, like, hot swap stuff. Oh, yeah. So they used to, apparently, they used to use that when they had it at running telecoms, was that they would, the server oh, would just be running... And then they would just go, okay, here's the new version, swap it over, and then it would just load up the new code. So, but it, mm. I think it's I think it's quite an art to actually have that, to you know, yeah. to, to make that dance work. Um, that, that's yeah. one of the things that I want to incorporate in my game engine. The the, the idea that hmm. code is simply data. We you know with the idea of config file. Like hmm. I was thinking, like it would be even better if. Uh, that config file, you can actually modify it even as the game is running, and then suddenly you have your new mechanics, you know, That's in cool. the game or yeah, new things happening. I'm curious, Vincent, but, if in yeah. terms of like I think the naive, naive version of when you start writing a game, especially if you come from the world of object-oriented programming, is to like model everything as an object. And, is that, so is, mm -hmm. and then I've read some stuff where they say no, don't do that, and I'm forgetting the name, but they have this sort of like basically a big array. Of the, of the object data and they sort of work on that every frame, like every loop of the, every iteration of the loop. Oh yeah. Is that, what's your sort of, what's the sort of patterns that you found there that you like? Uh, not sure exactly like the way, what you're mentioning, but I think one of the things to touch on when you work on games, uh, and I guess, uh, Nigel, I guess you can also correct me on that, but, uh, like you kind of like uh, have to not completely think about object oriented because object oriented they they don't there's not like so much care about performance so creating mm. and de destroying objects uh, like willy nilly that's like kind of commonplace you know and, and it makes the code yeah. clean or things like that but in game it's happening every frame so if you keep creating and destroying object every frame that's mm. really really bad for performance because you've got so the garbage thing, collector as well, right? It has to yeah, the yeah. garbage collector, like, uh, as you play the game, suddenly, like, oh, I have this bunch of things I need to garbage collect, and then this game freeze. That's yeah. not very good. Uh, yeah, so, so in, in games, you frequently find a way to turn work around yeah. garbage collection if it's there. Hmm. Um, yeah. Actually, yeah, like, allocate some big buffer, and you do your own memory mm -hmm. allocation within that from then on, right? Um, but then you still have to, like, <laughs> you still yeah. run the garbage collector running every so often. Well, there's this idea about like uh, um, object pool, uh, mm, and yeah. uh, yep. basically you you just create a bunch of objects, and like uh, a when bunch you of them, like a bunch of yeah, enemies like, or something, right? Yeah, let's say yeah. you have. I think it's very useful when you have bullets, you know, coming out, because uh, mm. you don't want like keep, keep creating the bullets, and then when the bullet uh, is out of the screen, you don't delete it. You know, you just like make mm. it disappear, and then just put it somewhere, just disable it basically. So you basically, and then you can recycle. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. You, yeah, you're recycling. You're putting them in the recycle bin. So instead of yeah, yeah. So the next bullet that's fired, it looks the same as any other bullet. It just yeah, you, know, you just okay. grab it again, yeah. and then uh, you can you just change the direction, and that's it. You have a new bullet, mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you either like uh, do that like uh, iteratively, like so. Whenever the object destroyed, you have to remember to put it to the bin, and then when you need a new object. Uh, if the bin is empty, you create a new one, but if it's there, you take it. And then, yeah, you just keep creating stuff like that. So or, does... Yeah, Th- there's another way of doing it, like where uh, every frame, you just create a bunch of objects, and like every frame you destroy everything, but you just mm. store it. And uh, the next next frame, you just grab everything that you, you, you put on the side, and then you just reuse it again. Yeah. Mm. Is, um, yeah. is that something you'd bake into your game engine? Like, would that be... in to a user of your game engine or most game engines, would that be invisible or is that sort of something that you go like, hey, you just created a new enemy, maybe mm. it's got some stale data or like, is it sort of like wiped clean or like how does how does that sort of work? Uh, well, are you asking like if the in the game engine it would be automatic or is that something like the user would need yeah. to think about or? Yeah, so it's the, yeah, you go. Yeah, so if you wanted to do a bullet sprite pull where you're going, oh, look, you know, here's my bullet objects, here's a row yeah. of bullet objects, I'm yeah. going to have 500 of them at, a, at any one time. Yeah. Um, do, do you just say that to your framework and go, or like, to your ideal framework, I guess, yeah. and say, that that's a thing, concept I'd like to have available, or is it something that you go, that's a technique that, de- that developers need to be aware of and to apply. Yeah, apply yeah. I, was, I was thinking, like, just, like, hide that from the developers, like, this mm. whole, like, yeah. uh, all those techniques, like, they might not... I mean, it's good to know that, but it's not something that you need, really need to think about. Like, I want this thing to be able to appeal to artists, and then artists, if they start thinking about like right. object pulling or things like that, mm. that's gonna be like terrible. Yeah, because like, I yeah, I was thinking like if you had a bullet, and then like maybe the bullet hits a surface or something like that and it explodes, like, and so then it gets retired. But then when you yeah. pull that bullet back up again, you don't have to go like make sure to unexplode it, like because you could just easily forget yeah. to do that. So, yeah, sure. Yeah, like, but one you... thing though to to enforce this kind of idea is that I, I want to make sure that at least, uh, like, let's say people want to create bullet, uh, like, okay, I'm gonna have like objects which is bullets, but they're gonna have to specify like the maximum bullet that can exist in the world because hmm. if like I don't put a limit and they they just keep creating stuff like, like crazy, it'd be a great like, game, that's... unlimited bullets. It'd be it'd be fun when we just <laughs> not to show on the screen. That's gonna like <laughs> like destroy your computer. One uh, of the one of the um, games I was working at, like when when you shoot a wall, right, it leaves some yeah. sort of decal behind, some sort of hmm. mark on the on the wall, and um, one way to do that is to um, is to effectively have little images that you've splatted on the wall against the wall that mm-hmm. are like slightly offset in front of it, so that you don't get Z issues, but hmm. um, uh, but you can only have a finite number of those, right? And you'll see that in games if you stand and shoot a wall, eventually the shooting a new one creates and makes a previous one disappear, right? Yeah, um, less it's a fir- it's from a, the wall, yeah. It's a, a first in, first out cue or something, you know, like the first bullet exactly. thing. Yeah, exactly, right. Disappears. Yeah, so um, uh, so that can work. And But another way you can do it is um, you can actually uh, uh, affect the texture itself. So that if you've got, uh-huh. if you... If you if you duplicate the texture and then and then literally write to it whenever the decals are right on it, then it can sort of permanently change. <laughs> yeah, so you can actually put yeah. have infinite uh, markers on the wall because you actually change the image. Then yeah, we had this idea too of making um, decals with um, the alpha channel set so that um, you could effectively shoot holes in things, and then so yeah. and then you could see through them to to oh. see what was behind, what was through the other side. Good idea. <laughs> You're giving me so many ideas for the game engine. Now I'm going to reuse all that. Absolutely. It's, it's kind of crazy games if you think, like, we think our, us as app developers have such a hard time. But if you think of, like, games, it's like literally people are just running around bored or, like, just playing with stuff, trying stuff out. Like, there might be a player who just, like, literally try and shoot every single surface in the game and that has yeah, to, like, not crash. And, like, the, but that's, yeah. and that's, like, yeah. normal. normal. <laughs> In, in a first-person yeah. shooter I was writing, we had uh, a pool table in one of the rooms, and so the, the, the level designers had put like pool balls on the table, 
And um, and then sure, sure enough, the the testers came back, uh, you know, a little while later with, hey, there's a bug. You know, if you spend enough time shooting the balls, um, then things go haywire. I mean, they're like, you know, who's going to spend who's going to spend two hours just shooting balls on a pool table? Oh, this is dirty. I like how she had like actual pool stance too. She's like down low, even with the table. Look at it, still going, still going. Oh, oh. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, a lot of people. A lot of people are gonna try that. It'll be named in the It'll be named in the review as the you know one of the bad yeah. things about <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're gonna try and play a full game of pool, aren't they? You know just know it. <laughs> It'll, be, it'll become a spin-off game, you know, where it's just yeah, shooting it. shooting <laughs> pool. Using pool a gun. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love I'll try that. Yeah, so fun. Mm-hmm. So, so I was wondering, um, Nigel and I were listening to Nigel um, introduced me to this podcast with um, it's called Software Unscripted, it's episode seventy eight. Things web devs can learn from game devs with Casey Muratori, and he had some strong opinions. But he was he was also talking about some of the, the similar stuff. Like one of the things was that idea of having hard limits. And, mm-hmm. and sort of working out ahead of time, okay, there's only like 500 enemies ever. And so you can't have, you can't just sort of dynamically yeah. allocate. Allocate um, humans. Yeah. We can't dynamically have that many enemies in the game, but then also like from a memory, memory allocation point of view, you can't just sort of like allocate until all the memories like used up in the game. So like, cause there's so many guess different dynamic things in games. If everything sort of could just sort of eat up all the resources the game's just going to crash so you have to put like it sounds like yeah. you have to put like limits everywhere so that's what those that yeah we, funny actually we used to have in c++ we we used to have um our own memory allocator that would um when it started the the application it would uh allocate a chunk of memory um which it used as its reserve effectively and then it would have game memory and then if if for some reason the, the system tried to allocate memory and it crashed and ran out like normally you're you're dead at, at that point but this would then have the ability to eat into its spare buffer, uh, allocate that extra thing, but then start raise, going, hey, look, we're out of memory. How do we handle this? How do we roll back safely? How do we save the save game? Like, how, do oh, we, wow. how do we persist the state so that we don't screw the user over? As in, like, you'll, <laughs> you'll still crash, but you'll sort of crash gracefully? Uh, yeah, yeah. That so was you try and save idea. the game quickly. Okay, uh, the <laughs> ship's sinking, so let's try and get the people on the exactly. lifeboats. Yeah, it gives and you then... that buffer to go, the ship's huh. sinking, let's do something about it. Huh. Um, that, that's a lot nicer than Word or Excel where, like, you know, when it crashes, <laughs> I lose all my work and I got so pissed, like, what, what the hell? I remember, you know, one time uh, I was a TA uh, in uh, in school and then a student, like, had to, to, to Excel crashing and then, like, they were, like, in panic because they would lose all the work and then, like, somehow, I forgot how, but I think I was able to debug, uh, like, have Visual Studio hit the breakpoint. And then just yeah. modify yeah, a little yeah. bit of uh, random stuff. Oh my god! And then he went through, and I don't know. Okay, I said save the thing, and then just close the thing, and then it actually saved the work. You know, like it was kind of amazing. But I don't yeah. know. But you know, that was random luck. You know, there's no way like this happens. Uh, like in the mo- no. I'm not here to yeah. defend his hard work, by the way. <laughs> oh, I've been used to work on Excel, so <laughs> that's true. Yeah. When I was doing. Game Boy Advanced games. Um, the the team I was working with had done this awesome thing. The um, uh, two of the guys uh, had written this um, uh, Game Boy Advanced emulator, which we coded against. <clears throat> so oh, you wow. can compile for Game Boy Advanced, run it on the emulator, uh, and run your game. Emulator is like a computer or something, or yeah. So on the PC, mm-hmm. you could you could run the Game Boy Advanced code. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the side effects of that was the testers could run the code through an emulator too. Um, and what, what the emulator was also doing as it ran was remembering every, every non-deterministic thing that occurred. So every key press, every, every um, random value that gets generated, any, anything that was needed that you could then replay that log oh, wow. um, and it would replay the game as if you were playing it. So, so it, it remembered, like, you've, if, you've got, if you've got physics and things, then the physics will frequently uh, depend random. on the frame rate of the screen oh, wow. so so because you go if the frame took this much time to calculate uh, then then this much time elapsed therefore the bullet should move this distance right wow. you have that sort of thing going on right so hmm. um so this would remember that frame rate the frame 
distances as well, right? And things like that. Anyway, it, it logged enough information that um, you could replay the log and, re and get the exact same experience right. that the tester had, which meant mm -hmm. that there's a couple of cool things. One was um, you could replay it and turn the screen off so that you didn't actually need to render, but it would still behave exactly oh. the same way. Oh, wow. And the other thing was that you could then go, okay, they played the game and it crashed, they would take the log and send it to you and say it crashes. You could literally go replay up to five steps before the end of the log, right? Mm. And it would go, and then you just press start from there, attach your debugger, and, and go step, step, again. step, bang. Oh, that's what's wrong. So awesome. the, the, that, that feedback loop cycle was fantastic. Um, mm. And um, it's interesting, I saw a talk a while ago about someone just talking about logging in applications and was just saying, um, if you if you imagine your code base split into two, two halves, there's the the f pure functions that are effectively deterministic. So whatever that mm -hmm. goes in, that you know what you're going to get out. Mm -hmm. And then there are bits of the code that are non-deterministic, right? Like you ask, what time is it, or something. And so as a result, you end up with uh, if if you have logging around all the non-deterministic stuff, like a user typed something, or you know some some you know random number was generated or whatever. If that's the stuff you log, there's no point logging the rest because it can mm. be recalculated. Yep. So you end up with this log of all the things that were non-deterministic. Mm. And that's all you need to be able to replay it again. So it's basically the same mm. premise, right? You end up with log, log, only log the things that you can't calculate. Yeah. And you log um, all those enough of the, all the things that you can't calculate so that it, the whole thing's replayable. And you end up with this beautiful development environment as well where you can just take logs, rerun them, See what went wrong. Um, yeah, I haven't done. Uh, hmm, I've done it on PlayStation Two. I haven't done it in a, in a, any industry other than games, though. I but think it's it's kind of the same technique uh, in some of the game, like uh, Braid, where uh, you know you play a game and then you can actually rewind and then play the have the game play itself again and with a second character. I made a game like similar yeah. to that, you know, yeah, where so you can you can replay your your own game again, uh, like with a second character. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, there was a guy that did some tech demos uh, about yeah. when uh, when about the time Elm was coming out. Yeah. Because um, Elm is Elm has that like here is my state, here is my update function, here is yeah. my render function, right? And you go given an event and my state, give me a new state, and then render it, and then you yeah. just repeat, right? So yeah. it has um, time traveling debugging. So you can say <laughs> um, let's roll back time and let's go back through this through the states, back to previous states, and then step forward again, right? Mm -hmm. So. Um, but there was a guy that was showing, there's a tech demo, maybe we'll find it and put, it, and put a link to it, but um, he was doing things like running along a platform and then jumping off and, and, and missing the thing, right? So then he would just change gravity oh, wow. and you'd see like a, pro a projection of where he would, he would end no, up going, that's like crazy. changing, and, until you go, yeah, that gives you the right jump. So the level designers could play with variables like that's in real time to, to, to change. <laughs> just, I love the idea. It's so good. That's anyway. awesome. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, I'll we'll find the link, put it in. It's interesting the contrast to like some of the, just thinking of it as a web developer, like there's this thing called Posthog, and there's other commercial ones as well, where they, you add it to your web, web app, and then it records everything that's that the user's sort of seeing, every click that they do, all of that stuff. But it's the... It's not following what Nigel was saying. As far as I know, like it slurps up all of the HTML that's ever on the page, like basically after every single event. Because, you know, oh, you might open a modal. So it goes, okay, well, I'll slurp up that HTML as well. And then, like, it yeah. does captures all of that data and then sends it down a WebSocket. And I always feel like surely that must slow down the user experience a bit because it's <laughs> like if you're on a mobile phone on. 4G and it's having to send all this, basically download the website and then send it back up again. Like it's, that must slow yeah. things down. So if you, if you architected yeah, with that um, in mind from the start, it'd be much more efficient, mm. but yeah. It's there was this, there was this, sorry, talking about games again still. There's some algorithms that they <laughs> use that are just really awesome, right? Like um, one of them, my favorites was, um, you've got, you've got uh, two people running around in a platformer, right? Uh, or in a uh, person shooter, okay? Um, so you can see the other person moving and they can see you moving. So you need to have a way for your computer and their computer to share the, the coordinates oh, of so the like two, over like, a two, network two, or something? two people. Oh. Yeah, over a network play, yeah. exactly, yeah, yeah. So, um, so what you need is some way to say, um, 
is to is to know where the person is frame to frame to frame to frame right so what, one thing you can do is to try and predict where they're going to be next frame right so you yeah. go so and a, and a good assumption for that is they're going to keep going in a straight line using the same velocity they had previously right now it's going to be wrong at some point but uh, and so you end up with like where you thought they were then you get a packet telling you where they actually are and you go oh, and you have to move them to where they actually are so you see people jumping around right that's not ideal either mm-hmm. right um, so <laughs> Well, one, one algorithm I heard about that I thought was awesome was um, you have uh, you you know how to predict how people are going to move. So let's say they're going to continue in a straight line. The other person knows how people are going to move, predict to predict. You know what algorithm they're using to predict, right? So you know where you are. You know when you told them your location last, right? And And you know where they think you are because you know what they're going to use to predict where you are. Right, so if so, uh, if someone's a long way away from you, you don't care so much about where they are. Like as long as they're within, the, you know, a few meters of mm. where they actually are, that's fine. But when they're close up, right next to you, you need to know exactly where they are. Yeah. Right. So, so what you can do is you can only send your location to people when you are, oh, wow. when you know that the error between where you are and where they think you are oh. is big enough and significant. Oh. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, so, so you can drastically reduce your network bandwidth. Uh, so wow. basically, like when you make an action, then you know, okay, uh, they don't know I did an action to turn left, so I need to send them something so that they will know, right, or something like that. Yeah, because yeah. you go, I know yeah. they think I'm going straight, but actually I've turned. But that's mm. fine for the first few frames. But by the time I get to the fifth frame, right, I'm far enough away from where they think I'm going to be that they really should have a new version of my with my location and, uh, and velocity and whatever. And it might like if you like it's a game where you, you have a sniper right like if as you zoom in on there sure. to get the headshot like then you'll start to <laughs> say that they're close again. So it's exactly sort of, yeah, there's, there's, they're zoomed in, therefore they need to know more or it, something. It reminds, yeah, absolutely. It reminds, what's that concept <laughs> in games? You know where you have the sort of objects as that it's really detailed as you get close, and then as you get yep. farther away, the, uh, the l- geometry uh, gets l- simpler. Yeah, levels of detail. They're lot levels. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. sort of like it's yeah. sort of like that. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. What, what, I find fa- what I find fascinating too is, so I was working in one, in one games company and um, a game came out and it had an infinite draw distance. So like everything looked beautiful no matter how far away it was, right? Um, and, and, and prior okay. to that, pe- people were complaining and saying, oh, you can't do that. You've got to have like, you've only got a certain number of... Yeah, like GT, GTA if, San Andreas d- had did a very clever thing with its map where it sort of felt like that, but they put mountains and stuff in the place so it never quite... Yeah, so, so again, games games were or just like adding fog, right? So you go, yeah. if, you, if you can't see past a certain place, it just gets foggy and then you can't see into the distance, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. they can't draw everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so someone came up with this idea of having um, effectively billboards, right? So you, take, you, you have this virtual billboard that you place in the scene, and it, on it, the texture is what the camera would see going through it. So what's behind it rendered into a, onto, a, onto an image, right? And you just place those around the user. Um, and so when they, when they look around, it looks like they can look all the way off into the distance, but in reality, they've got these billboards. And, but but um, those, are not, those are static then? then nothing yeah, has to yeah, change? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. And, but they're, but they're, you can update them on a certain frequency, and then depending on how far away they are, you'd, you, you know, the... Um, uh, the resolution could be different. Anyway, this, but basically that this, this technique, right? And um, the funny thing was, like, I was talking to some of the to more technical guys about like how to do this sort of thing. Like, how could you get it, improve the draw distance? And they were all going, "Oh, it's not possible. It's really a really hard problem. Very difficult to do." Hmm. Then a game came out that could do it, and without looking at the game or any of the code or any of the implementation, some people went, "Oh, I know what they've done." Wow! Like, and you're like, really? If, if if you if you just thought in your mind, yeah, this is possible, possible. yeah, you, you would you would have worked it's, it out, right? It's but not possible until this, somebody do it. It's, and it's then like, exactly. It's like it. in the it's like in the nineteen fifties. I'm probably going to get the thing wrong, but I think there was like a five minute mile or four minute mile or something like that. And it's like and there's like this record that no one had ever done it under four minutes or whatever yeah. it was. And then yeah, someone it's, just, in, it's just not humanly possible. Yeah, it's not humanly possible. <laughs> then someone did it in nineteen like fifty five, and then like after then like a whole bunch of people like got under four minutes. It's like this is crazy. Yeah. yeah. By the way, which game was yeah. that, uh, Nigel? 
Uh, I was working on um, uh, Ice Nine, I think it was called. It was a PlayStation oh, cool. Two first-person shooter. Yeah. Okay. Totally but I don't, I don't. I don't. Sorry, that's what I was looking at. I don't remember the name of the game that had the billboards. I don't remember. It was okay. many years ago, well, okay. long, long time ago. I'm sure there's some conspiracy um, theories where people think that's happening in real life. By the way, like the tr- <laughs> like the Truman Show. Could be. Could be. Look out that's the window. It. Look closely. Yeah. 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 yeah sweet. It's, it's kind of interesting. Like uh, I used to have this idea for. Um, uh, a mud, you know, multi-user dungeons, those sort of text-based adventures where you run around. Have you not not played those? No. So like you go north and it goes. Oh, uh, you see a sort of. Oh yeah, 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 Those those games. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So so the, the, those had, sort of text-based. They always had really games. good draw distances, didn't they? <laughs> they yeah. did. Real exceptional. Yeah. 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 Um, your imagination <laughs> was just infinite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and um, uh, there was one called Mud Two. That was around when I was at uni a long, long time ago, and uh, it was like the the best. Um, it had some really interesting ideas, in it. but I, I, I loved I loved the idea of. Okay, so so I had the idea at the time. Uh, this is a complete tangent, right? That's good. Um, uh, yeah, that the fine. the AI that you're talking to, right? You could sort of interact with the AI because you could, and you could sort of have these fixed conversations with it. Um, I'm really fascinated with the idea of of LLMs being used to have like being trained with the understanding of the environment they're in like it's a reality like this is oh, yeah. like so they don't need to know everything that we know it's about like the background everything, story everything it's like an actor being given the background story for their character exactly yeah. yeah yeah and they so they shouldn't know about elon musk or whatever right but they should know about how physics works like mm-hmm. things float and things sink right at least to some rudimentary level mm-hmm. um, so that you can have those sort of conversations with them hmm. um yeah, it's interesting. Anyway, yeah, I think like some games they they've been starting to use AI, and then uh, like some players they they've been making videos about them talking to NPCs for a very long time, and then like sometimes they they feel like uh, they they really are having a conversation with a real human, <laughs> and then at some point you know players what they really love to do is uh, tell the AI that they are NPCs, like you are uh, oh, not a real person, and then see how they react. <laughs> And then some AIs are in real denial, and like, <laughs> it's a little bit crazy. It's like those yeah. um, those those fake villages where people have to pretend to be the person from seventeen eighty eight or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I went to um, oh, there's a place. We're in, I'm in Melbourne, um, Victoria. Um, there's like this castle. Uh, no, there's there's this place um, up north a bit that um, does. Um, medieval reenactment, or uh, and and other sort of reenactment things. Mm-hmm. Oh, what's the one? Sovereign Hill. Have you been to Sovereign Hill? I've never heard of it. Okay, so it's like a it's like a uh, 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 gold mining area, and it's been set up as if gold mining days. So you can wander oh, cool. around the streets and go to the shop that makes traditional lollies, and you can see all the equipment they use for gold mining and and they have like an old bowling awesome. alley with the wooden bowl little bowling thing it's just and lots of like metal work and stuff like that anyway it's a bit of fun um schools schools can go there and they have the kids like enroll in the school there because there's literally a school oh, there wow. um and and they spend the day as school children of that time period um i went there with a homeschooling group and um and and being one of the people looking after the kids i ended up having to dress up in garb and walk around uh, town as, uh, and, and as well, so I was I was in a in appropriate period dress, and they're really strict about um, like don't interact with people, and or if you do, you have to stay in character, sort of thing. Uh. Um, <laughs> so, so it was. Um, so I had my photo taken with a bunch of um, of um, tourists. Photo, and stuff. but um, a black and white. Yeah, because I, I wandered around town, and tourists would come up to me and try and take their photo with no, me. No, I'm just kidding. Was... No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> kidding oh, photo. Yeah, yeah. yeah your character be like, "What is this? What are you doing right <laughs> what, now? What is? What? Why are you pointing that at me? Yeah. <laughs> where's the Where's the guy guy with the hood and the flash thing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they should they should do that. Have one of those things, and it's just an iPhone. <laughs> and then That's the, brilliant. And then the smoke goes off. Yeah, yeah. She's given one of those when you enter, and then you can carry it around with you. <laughs> that would be so good. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I don't know how I got into that. That's lots awesome. Of fun. I really, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed being playing the role. Hmm. Yeah. So that's what it is, you know. In games, you know, the AI characters they they know about everything, but they just have to stay in characters. They are aware of uh, everything that's happening. They're sentient. Yeah. 
but they just yeah. like for the player, you know, they have to pretend. Yeah, I mean this world. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm kind uh, that's of, awesome. I'm kind of convinced. I don't know that there was a few articles at the start of the year because ChatGPT had just come out and the Bing, whatever it was called, had just come mm. out, and then people were like testing it, and then it seemed like they had a really strong personality when were kind of like quite deep and like. But I've all, I've was sort of wondering. Do you think they were just trained because it's just being trained on everything? There was an interesting thing. Uh, Elon Musk spoke at a conference, like a thing, and he sort of said, you know, what we sort of already knew. They just mm -hmm. have um, trained on all copyrighted data. They haven't been very careful at all. They just want to get an advantage. So if they get sued, they'll, they'll just get sued next year, and but they've, they've already dominated. Um, but yeah, I've wondered if they were just trained on like dystopian novels, and so that's why they, those characters were coming up because they were trained on like sci-fi novels <laughs> where there was an AI that was sort of having an belligerent, yeah, having <laughs> having this crisis. So oh. yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Well, um, taking us back to something we mentioned earlier, right? You said um, about having arrays of objects uh, in memory. Um, yeah. I've recently been looking at the Zig programming language, and one of the really interesting design concepts they've got there is this idea that you can go. Uh, it's, well, it's like a C++ type language, or a C language, really, more like a C language. But you can have structs, and then you can have methods that, that know that their first parameter is that struct, and therefore they feel like methods on the, on the struct. Um, and, um, and, but uh, having structs, right, you can decide how you store those in memory, and one of the things that you can do with an array of, of objects in, in Zig is to say, I'd like this to be stored as several arrays uh, of properties as opposed to arrays of the structs themselves. Um, and that means that you can have like all the usernames in an array and all the passwords or whatever, all the, all the ages, all the heights and whatever as, as their own arrays. And then you, um, that makes some uh, calculations much more performant because they're, everything's in memory and you're looping through that list. Uh, it's, it's like far more likely to get a, a cache hit because you've preloaded the right stuff and the next value you want is already loaded in, in the, in the case it, and so on and so forth. Because um, it might be, you know, one of the fields of the structs might be like, is um, is enemy or something like for a game or I don't know, what whatever this flag yep. is, is wizard. And then like what it might do, right, is put that into like a, instead of having that as like a, it has to expand that usually to like a byte or like a 32-bit field or it can just put them all in like do like a have a massive like bit set right like just go like there's actually just yeah. one bit for every single um uh like enemy and then just go okay is wizard it's just going to do the the sort of logic to, to, to find that yeah so rather than having a pointer to the struct you end up with effectively an index into an array into a set of arrays and so you're yeah but but yeah. the really nice thing about it is that in your code you don't notice the difference it's like it's yeah. it's a it's a concept that's hidden behind an implementation. Compiler magic, yeah. yeah. It, it's yeah, so, exactly. Is it, I haven't got any experience with them, but is it sort of like that idea of like a columnar store database? Like yeah. yeah. Yeah, it feels really similar to that, <laughs> in my mind at least, anyway. I'm, I'm learning this stuff. It's, it's fairly new to me, but yeah. Um, the, um, yeah, there's a couple of other things I really like. Like the, the concept of um, having compile time code so that you can mark code as compile time and then it things like the type system can go, okay, well, if I know that at compile time, then you know, I, can, I can infer some stuff when I'm compiling the rest of the code. Um, it's really interesting. So that gives you concepts like generics, uh, something equivalent to generics just works because you write functions that take a type that is compile time set, and therefore it can infer the rest of the, the methods from that. Um, uh, it's, there's, the more I think about it, the more things like that like like regular expression parsing, right? You've typed a regular expression in your code, right? At compile time, it could go, well, that's not changing. It's a hard-coded regular expression, right? Mm. Why would I restore that as a string and then have to interpret that every time I use it? Why wouldn't I compile that to something? Yeah, because it's like a little state machine that gets run within within your within the code base. Because then you have to right. have this mm. sort of like universal regular expression parser and executor bundled yeah. in the um, the final <clears throat> result. Whereas if you're just going, actually, this is one regular expression that's just testing if it's got an ASCII character, like you can throw all that other yeah. stuff away and just do the whatever that actually needs. Yeah, so it would compile down to some sort of if, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. It's, it's, yeah, like, like that, that's awesome. And But more and more I think about it, like um, when, uh, when I was doing uh, C-sharp code a lot, uh, we, we used dependency injection frameworks to help to split um, split split the code base into almost like a bunch of 
reusable building blocks and then the wiring code that would plug those building blocks together. Um, and that gave you this really nice sort of, um, we had a, like an internal DSL for the, the wiring side of things and it effectively came up with like a description of your architecture. Because you'd say, I need one of those, one of those, one of those. They all plug together in this way. Uh, that, and then this has a factory for a subsystem that does this and da da da, right? And the <laughs> thing I always struck me was uh, I really liked that, that design, but a lot of that wiring stuff, right, that's all hard coded, right? <laughs> so and so there's, a, there's a hit when you start your application up that it has to execute the wiring and go, <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to make one of those, one of those, one of those, put those together in this way. Like it has to do that to, before it gets to the point where, and now everything's standing up, we can start, hmm. right? Hmm. If I made that stuff in Zig, I could do it as compile time code. Oh, right. And that, time, that way, all of that wiring could evaluate down to what, it, what, what's the, you know, what is the essential you know, memory allocations that have to happen and, and before you can start, right? And it wouldn't be... Oh, like statically like, um, allocated. Yeah. yeah. That was one of the topics yes. of that podcast. So yeah. you, would just, you would just end up with... Um, it's it's the, sort at of... At one time, the code would be much simpler, right? It's sort of... I, this analogy might fail, but it's sort of like, hey, we've got this, like, we're doing this massive play, and it's going to be like 20 angels, and there's going to be like 50 orcs, and I don't know what this play is, but there's going to be, you know, 30, yep. 30 soldiers and whatever. And it's like, well, let's, instead of going like every, you know, okay, soldier number three, come out on the stage, soldier number four, come out. Like, just, you just have them, well, you know, you've got 40 soldiers. And you've got, yeah. yeah, you just. The way, the, way I, the way I think about it is more like, like the way, the way the code was designed, effectively you had like a Lego set. You had all the building blocks, <laughs> like, and then you had the, the instruction manual that said, this is how you put the Lego, the model together. Right, mm. and you couldn't play with the car until you'd assembled the model, right? And half and the code was describing that manual and assembling the model, and then you could play with it. And right? that's what so sort of classes were supposed to be, right? They were your um, instruction manual in a way, weren't they? Like that—that's one way of thinking of a class. Yeah, sort of. You're going to create this object, and then here's the description of how to create the object. Yeah. Yeah. So. So that's I guess. Sorry, I guess the, yeah. That's all right. I'm trying, I'm trying to work out how that, how that fits in. But, yep. but in my mind, effectively, what I'd like to be able to do is make the assembly of the model yep. from the building blocks compile time yep. so that when you press start, yep. you're starting with mm. a Lego car that's pre-made, not building a Lego car and then starting to use it. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, so I think there's an opportunity there mm. for more and more stuff yep. being done at compile time that you can just write as normal code. And yet mm. it, you just say, this is compile time. And it goes, oh, in that case, I'll get the compiler to to simplify all before the executable ever gets created. Yeah, basically um, for, you know, like for every application, there's always like uh, some step where things that get put into this world, right? But actually yeah. this whole thing is ends up as a block of memory and that block of memory is always the same for every application. So I guess yeah. what you could do is just like have it preset and just bam, put it there and then... It's it's sort of like totally, yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't know if anyone does this is probably a really dumb idea but it's sort of like if you had a game and then like you can save the mm. game at any point right it's like you started the game immediately hit save and then just took that save file and just made everyone load that save file instead of having to do yeah. all the other sort of yeah. usual code well, there was a really interesting yeah. there was there was this talk someone did at uh, i think it was at strange loop recently where they were talking about these little um demos where um, they were saying, like, if you've got, like, a movie and you like, like, this little bit of the movie, then you can, like, cut that little snippet out and go, you know, here's that snippet of the movie. I love that little bit of the movie, right? Mm. They were doing the same thing but with computer games. Mm. So they would, they would record that little bit of a computer game uh, in such a way that they would, they were, they were, I think these were emulated games, but they were using the fact that the emulator, they could tell which bits of the ex code were being executed oh, wow. when that bit was running, that they could then shrink down the executable of the entire game down oh. to just enough code that oh. would run that little bit of the game, That's right? Crazy. And then save that as its own little file. And, the, and, and not only that, they were taking the, that, that binary executable, uh, encoding it into... Um, pixels and in an image and then attaching those right. to the screenshot of the start of the game right so that a snapshot of the of the beginning of their sample encode the binary into that 
such that you effectively had these images that when you, <laughs> with the right interpreter, it would literally play from the point on the screenshot onwards <laughs> for a period of time. So like you could finish the level or whatever you were trying to do in that, in that bit of the game. My mind's a bit blown. Insane, right? <laughs> I don't think. I'm not sure if I quite. I I'm not sure if I quite understand because like the. I naive... think so. The idea is basically like at the end you have a image, that's yep. just an entire mini game, just the image yes. itself. So, so, how so you've got that... an image, and then when you, you can effectively press play on it, yeah. and then start interacting with it and moving your character around because on the screen or whatever. Within the image, there's bits that represent code, right? Or like yeah. pixels that represent code. Do you mean a, do yeah. you mean images an image of like data or do you mean images like a picture? Like a, like a JPEG or a, like a, not a JPEG, oh. but a, you JPEG know. is going to like make yeah. a... Yeah, that, that, bit, that would lose data, right? But, well, a non-lossy, non-lossy image. Because you could just yeah, capture like the pixel. Yeah. You could just capture the pixel buffer, right? Like if you normally record a game, I imagine you just capture the pixel buffer, capture the audio coming out of the yeah. game. But then but you don't is, have the physics, This is right? one step Because this... this yeah, this would okay. still allow you to interact with the game and move your character left and right and jump and all yes. the things that you would normally do in the game. It, <laughs> it's insane. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll find a link to it. But um, mm. uh, I, I was watching all those Strange Loop videos because they were just very eclectic and yet really interesting. Yep. And so I was watching ones that I wouldn't, like the title didn't grab me. And then when I started watching it, I was like, that seems, that's so weird. What a really mm. interesting idea. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I'd I'd uh, love to be able to work at one of those game companies. They just they look fascinating. Like just some of the stuff. <laughs> oh, this was to... a research project, I think. Yeah, right. So um, cool. Should we wrap it up? So I think we've decided, uh, Vincent, that you're going to throw your game engine away. You're going to rewrite it in Zig. And um... oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. you can always compile it to Wasm for to run in the browser if you want to run in the browser. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to happen eventually. You know, like I, yeah. I, it's a cycle that keeps happening. So I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. The only concern I have with Zig at the moment is just the standard library doesn't seem to be completely there yet. Okay. There's um, there's some things that you know you would expect to be there, but you can always rely on C plus plus if you want to. So I know C plus plus. I have plenty of C these days. I'm like ah, yeah. Well, the Zig, the Zig compiler like, is also a like has Clang built into it. It's literally a C compiler as well oh, and yeah. a C plus compiler. Mm. So the interop is insane because you can literally just in compile the code anyway. Is it C plus 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 plus? Is that what it's trying to be? <laughs> C plus plus. Yeah. Is that what Zig stands for? Yeah. Yeah. It's like <laughs> if C plus plus was make any existing C code work, but add some extra stuff. It's like well, let's do that one step further. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Anyway, it's worth, I'm still learning. It's fun, fun learning experience. All right. Okay. Well, let's wrap it up, guys. Oh, it's yeah. been been uh, a long <laughs>